Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. Phil Sutherland is a global ambassador for diabetes and is dedicated to instilling hope and inspiration in everyone impacted by the disease. He serves as the CEO and co-founder of Team Novo Nordisk, the world's first all-diabetic pro-cycling team. He is also CEO and founder of Super Sapiens, a startup focused on helping all athletes manage their blood glucose values for high performance. Phil has dedicated his life to redefining what it means to live with diabetes and is driving a global movement to show the world what is possible with excellent diabetes management and how exercise can save the health of the world. Phil Sutherland, thank you so much for joining me on the CoachCast today. You know, Professor Dirk, it is great to be here. <laughs> Far from that. Um, Phil, you have a, I don't know, I think today's general topic is uh, performance and fueling for performance. You certainly have a very unique um, insight into fueling, having been obviously a type one diabetic for, I, I guess, your entire conscious life. Yep. <laughs> uh, you were you were diagnosed very early, uh, just what, six or seven months old? Is that right? Yeah, it was, uh, seven, seven months old. And I, I think I read that was the youngest ever diagnosis at the time. Yeah, I mean, back, back then it was, it, it was, I, yeah, I think I'd lost 10 pounds in two days. My mom Whoa. took me to one doctor who said, oh, he's got the flu, come back in a week. And then weight loss happened again. And then took me to another doctor the next day, you know, and they said the same thing, you know, he's got the flu, come back, everything will be fine. And like, then the weight just started you know, crashing. And wow. I've, I've got, you know, blue eyes, they'd turn gray. I had this, what's called the ketonic rattle, which is like every breath kind of sounded like it was gonna be the last. This is you know, my mom's words, of course. Wow. And she said, she was fed up with the doctors and took me to the hospital and said, please fix my baby. And <laughs> like, if, if she would have waited one more day, I, I'd have been dead, you know? Period. Wow. Um, so it was luck. I call it, um, you know, diabetes chooses at the champions. Uh, I just got, I got chosen at a really early age. And you know, for me, it's like, I, I kind of, I mean, I, I look back, you know, with those three, three young kids at the house and, you know, the immense stress it probably put on my parents. But, you know, from my perspective, I'm so glad, you know, that I was diagnosed at that age. I just, I don't know life any other way. You know, every, everything I've ever done, I've done with diabetes and, um, let's call it, you know, my honest friend on the side who you do the right things and gives you good numbers and do, do the wrong things and get the wrong <laughs> numbers. Uh, but it, it always tells the truth. Right. Keeps you honest. And you certainly didn't have a good, well, at least the doctors didn't give you a very promising outlook, um, on your life. What, what were you, what was your, were your parents told back then? So it was at, at the diagnosis that, you know, said, man, we have good news and we have bad news. And the good news is your son's going to live for now. Uh, bad news is he has uh, juvenile diabetes. And based on current standards of, you know, treatment, technology, education, 
Um, and frankly, the age of diagnosis, uh, you know, your son most likely will be, will be dead by 25. And prior to that, he'll, he'll have re- either have renal failure or blindness or both. Uh, here's your insulin. Good luck. Wow. And, you know, back then it was, you know, they had to squeeze urine out of my diaper, you know, onto a test strip, uh, <laughs> to find out where my glucose was two hours in, in, in arrears. Right. And yeah, then as a kid, you know, it's, you know, my, my first two words were like most kids, mama, ma- mama, dada. Uh, and then, but number three was OJ. Um, <laughs> this, whenever my, I had low glucose, they'd give me orange juice. And I, I, frankly, to this day, I despise orange juice because it was medicine for so much of my life. Um, but you know, I, even as a young kid could learn how to, what glucose was and what the feelings associated with it. And I knew OJ, that was the solution to hypo. Uh, Right. So, and I know you obviously through cycling for, I don't know, maybe a couple decades now. Uh, now how did you go from this uh diagnosis to discovering the bike and wanting to be a pro athlete and you know how did you discover the bike and um then brought you all the way through having a uh, team novo nordisk yeah <clears throat> so uh i guess the, you know in the late 80s you know, diabetics weren't supposed to compete in sport because there was risk of hypoglycemia on the other side but when i was active and moving you know my parents used themselves as a control group yeah, and so they found that when I moved a lot, and my glucose was better. So they put me in a swim team at six years old. And the first okay. week of swim practice, I learned two things. One, good control of glucose, I can win. And second, bad control of glucose, I will fail. So can say I kind of got hyper-obsessed about glucose as a proxy for performance. Of course, that meant checking before events, eating before events, and then hoping it all went well. Um, you know, and... I also had the fear of going blind. Um, my mom, you know, when I refused a shot at six, she said, all right, Phil, don't do your shot. That's fine. You'll go blind. And it became kind of a driving focus for me. One, have good control for sport. And then when I was off out of sport, you know, have good control so that I don't go blind. And that that's, you know, what led me to the, the bike. Cause at 12 years old, I you know, took 35 cents to the candy uh, snack machine at school I got a Snickers bar and I said, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever had. Um, and then I got home and my glucose was in the high 300s um, as a result. And yeah. you know, th- that's numbers that will cause you to go blind. And I'm like, man, you know, I don't, the, the rapid insulin at that time took two hours to work. So a 12 year old mm-hmm. obviously, you know, didn't have patience to wait two hours for insulin to kick in. Um, and I really wanted the candy bar. So I, I did a test and I went, rode my bike to the gas station, which was, you know, two miles from my house. I ate a Snickers bar and then I rode around, um, you know, for, I don't know how long at the time and got home and my glucose was perfect. I said, huh, hmm. riding bikes means I can, I can eat. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I just kept riding to eat Snickers bars. And that was like, I would leave my house, go to the, <laughs> the circle K, uh, two miles away, eat. And then go ride. And I kept coming home with good glucose numbers. It was awesome. Um, but then it was, uh, you know, did a race and yeah, it was like, okay, that's cool. I got third to last, did another race and you know, fourth to last. <laughs> and I got, um, in high school, you know, there were, I don't know. It was like the awkward kids. You know, I was the second shortest kid in high school. I've got 11 toenails. My middle name's Philpot. You know, I had plenty of things mm-hmm. that people could make fun of me for. Um, but the, these 
you know, Jack, Joel, and um, Jacob, and myself kind of all found each other. Like, I like to ride bikes. I like to ride bikes. And so we started going on mountain bikes every Friday. And then, then we go every Friday, Saturday. And then we started, you know, hanging out at the bike shop. Of course, we didn't have any money. So we're just an annoyance to the guys at Revolutions. Um, but they're like, all right, guys, you're serious? Come to our Sunday ride. And, you know, it was a Sunday you know, three, four hour mountain bike ride. Um, and, you know, that just kind of, they became my brothers. Uh, these older brothers that looked out for me, yeah, they made fun of me a lot, uh, helped my skin thicken prematurely, um, right. just hanging out in the bike shop. And, you know, but on the rides, you know, there was this one guy, Chris Slayton, who's you know, still you know, a dear friend and brother to me. Um, and Chris would like hang at the back when I got dropped. And he was always worried, was it diabetes or was I just not talented? Um, and, you know, first I was dropped at five miles, then the next week at 10 miles. And then, you know, after a few months of riding with these guys, I could finish, you know, with the lead group. And it, yeah, I think Dirk, as you know, it's just, you know, once you get that bug of cycling and, you know, every ride you learn something new, you get a little bit better, you find your new uh, limits of your, your own human potential. It's, it's addicting. And, um, you know, so I raced mountain bikes a lot, did a 12 hour race solo. Cause you know, I got a, I made a bet and you know, <laughs> bet me a hundred bucks. I couldn't do it. Um, so I did it. Yeah. Uh, it took him six months to pay me, which was and he paid $7 at a time and kept it a little bit. I was like, come on, man, just give me the money. Um, but then the week after that mountain bike race, was, there was a road race and you know, I went and did you know, the, this junior race and you know, Gainesville, Florida. Um, I got third place. I blame my pedals. Uh, my, my good, my best friend and you know, manager of my Devo team, Dan Holt, um, was in the race. He was my arch nemesis as a junior. Um, you know, I, I started sprinting for the line. You know, I came on clip for my pedals a couple times cause I had down tube shifters and mountain bike pedals, All right. uh, but it ultimately ended up third place. And I was like, all right, cool. And then I got a check, you know, uh, $20 in cash. And I said, what, huh? What? <laughs> you make money from riding bikes. And immediately my, my brain switched and was like, okay, I'm going to the road and nice. really started you know, at 16 years old, started, you know, training a lot more on the road to be good on the mountain bike, but also, you know, trying to participate in, you know, local junior races, um, around the, the Florida area. Hmm. Yeah. And it's somehow then you go on and do Ram race across America. Well, uh, look, I want to hear about that experience. You know, how'd you get to, to do that? And what was the, wasn't an all diabetic team? Yeah, yeah, but, but let's not forget, Dirk. I mean, you when, when we first rode together back in Athens, Georgia, before Ram, there was the Winter Bike League. And, uh, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and again, in the in the art of uh, financial gain from the sport, yeah, it was these are group rides in Athens, Georgia. For those who don't know, and David Crow, uh, the patron of the WBL, always made sure two things that you're sprinting for cash and booze. That was a Steve Seven rule, <laughs> and I found I could make money. You know riding. So I, I trained and you know, won the winter bike league at 21 years old, made like 1300 bucks, uh, wow. in cash that winter. Um, and you know, from, from there, uh, actually that's how I met Joe. Um, he was the co-founder of team type one and, you know, Joe saw me win in WBL. Then he saw me winning collegiately for the university of Georgia. And he said, Phil, man, you're my, you're my hero. Seeing you win is proof that I can win too. Um, we developed a friendship. Over the next six months, Joe's hemoglobin A1C dropped 
you know, 5%. So he went from a path yeah. of complications to a path of not, not having complications. Uh-huh. And he just said, I said, why, you know, and he said, I had motivation for the first time. Mm. I really thought the bike, mm. you know, this was in 2003, 2004, you know, and what uh, Lance was doing for people with cancer at the time via the mm-hmm. bike as a platform. I, you know, I'd never had a hero growing up as a kid with diabetes. Right. And I thought we could use the bike to create heroes. And that's, you know, what led us, let me, you know, I started the company team type one, February 22nd, 2005. Um, but people said, man, this is awesome. This is positive. And back then diabetes didn't have any positivity. It was all right. You're going to go blind. You're going to die. You can't do this. You can't do that. And a group of us, you know, having a, a cold beer after the ride, they said, Phil, you got to do something big, you know, ride your bikes across America. And I was like, you know, 70,000 in debt, having just graduated college, I had a job to start selling life insurance after, after school. Yes, I did that. <laughs> and um, I was like, well, Ram, we could do, you know, that's, it's a short, right. I could get that time off. You know, we got some bike sponsorship, uh, Lightspeed, you know, Rudy project, Hincappy, um, Oakley. Um, you know, I think cat eye was our bike computer at the time. And, you know, and it was after that, like I, I got put on a continuous glucose monitor trial and in 20 days, I learned more about what everything did to my body than in the previous 23 years of obsessing about glucose control. You know, I told the team, Hey, it's real. We're doing it. Get ready. And, uh, you know, we you know, were able to show up on the start line race across America in 2006 and you know, we were there to win. Like that was my goal from day one is I, I don't just want to do this. I want to win this. Uh-huh. And, you know, we we're competing against the, the guys from Vale Beaver Creek, but no one took us seriously at the start line. You know, it was, was like, oh, what's your goal? I said, we want to win. Oh, yeah, that's nice, kid. Like, well, we think it's good what you're doing for charity. This is nice for visibility. We hope you fin- can finish. And I just it was insulting to me, but that was just the reality of the stigma uh, right. around diabetes back then. And, you know, lo and behold, like the technology saved our lives the first night. You know, we our nutritionists. Yeah, you know, we gave us 25 grams of carbs when we had given insulin for 100. Um, so we heard, heard these beeps the whole way through the night. And, you know, day day one, first shift to sleep. And none of us slept because we were just, we woke up 50 times that night with beep, 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 and, you know, an eight. Um, right. Wasn't a good start to the race, but we lived to fight another day. And come Durango, Colorado, um, we kind of, we figured between the groups, because this was the first time we'd had this type of data live during competition, um, we found that if our glucose was between 140 and 180, we felt good. Mm. So we started to make titrations, and the Vale guys were two hours ahead of us at that time. Um, you know, But once we learned to titrate 140, 180, we started going a lot faster, and we passed them in Missouri, and then they passed us back in West Virginia, then we passed them back, and it, it was neck and neck all the way to the line. And we got there five days, 16 hours, four minutes. And we got the actual finish line. They said, congratulations, you won the race. And then it was a nine mile little parade session into Atlantic city. And we're riding with the Vail guys and they were amazing competitors, great people. Yeah. Uh, I would, you know, in hindsight, wish I'd drank more beer with them after the, the race, <laughs> uh, just because some pranksters, uh, Nat, Nat Ross had, he made some jokes that left scars, uh, but, uh, good, du- good dude. But you know, we, um, then we get to the, the boardwalk and they say, Oh wait, stop, stop, stop. Team type one actually Vail Beaver Creek. They won by three minutes. So you guys wait while they do their podium. It's like, 
ah, what? It was the, the worst moment of my life right there. I had nine miles thinking we were champions, nine miles right. of riding like in this glorious, like just holy shit, we did it. And then to get told, no, you didn't. It was just, it was like a, a dream ripped out from under me. Um, and, you know, so, you know, but everything happens for a reason. And the next week, Abbott took me to this children with diabetes conference down in Florida. They bring in like 3000 people, you know, it's all family, big family event. And I was standing in the, the booth for Abbott, you know, with this cool picture of the team that we were autographing and the kids and the parents were just so unbelievably blown away that a team of diabetics, you know, people with diabetes, not only raced their bikes across America, but did it in five and a half days. And that's when I knew we were onto something. Like it was parents were crying because they, for the first time in their lives had hope. The yeah. kids were like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And they, they had heroes to look up to. And, you know, Abbott came back on as a sponsor, uh, you know, Omnipod, Amelin, uh, came on that next year as well. And we grew our budget, we grew our knowledge and you know, came back with a vengeance uh, year two uh, to win the race, set a record. You know, wow. uh, when I was supposed to be dead, I was supposed to be blind. I got to stand on the podium with seven other champions with type one diabetes as world record holders in the race across America. So it's, yeah, that's awesome. That race. I mean, it's, you know, it's the best moments of life, the worst moments of life packaged into five and a half days. It's just brutal suffering, but uh, just an amazing experience that uh, I'm glad I checked that box in life. Yeah, I can't imagine. Now, you you sort of glanced over this technology and this kind of pivotal moment. I want to go back to, uh, for those that don't know, I mean, you, you, you just mentioned CGM, so continuous glucose monitor, this yep. technology, this new technology. Why was this so revolutionary for you? What was it like beforehand versus now having this new technology? And explain what this technology is. Yeah, great, great question, Dirk. Um, so, you know, but before, so continuous glucose monitoring, you have a, a device like a transmitter on the body. There's a small, call it filament that goes about five millimeters in. And then that device sends a signal to machine you know, the, the receiver and tells you what your glucose is and more importantly, the trend. So you see an arrow like going up, going down and, or staying flat. You know, so you always have, you have the numbers in front of you and to see the trend, it was just so invaluable because, you know, sitting down to meal in the past, you know, I, I was obsessed about glucose control. So I, I pricked my finger, you know, 20 times a day for, you know, 12 years. So to yeah. get a device that I could go to sleep at night and, if I went too low, I'd get an alarm that would wake me up. I mean, it was like, you know, just an unbelievable game changer for me. I mean, this technology saved my life. It's absolutely made my life so much better. And, and so, you know, and then fast forward now, I mean, that was 15 years ago and now the technology has got a lot more user-friendly and, uh, now, you know, it's just, it's been a, it's been a wild ride, uh, a challenging one, a beautiful one. Uh, but wild is, uh, for sure, uh, the single word summation of it all. Your your life is a bunch of building blocks, you know, as we can tell from six months old being diagnosed to discovering the bike, race across America, starting team type one, Novo, Novo Nordisk, and now the next stage of your life or building block is Super Sapiens. So tell us about this. Why'd you start it? Where'd you get this idea? Um, so introduce uh, the listeners to Super Sapiens. 
Yeah, let me, if I could provide a, a little, you know, so Super Savings, world first energy management management system um, approved in the EU. It's not yet available in the US. Um, don't have a timeline on that, but, you know, we're selling in eight countries in Europe, uh, the Super Sapiens powered by Abbott Libre Sense um, ecosystem. And, you know, the why, though, is, you know, you know with Team Nova Nordisk, you know, we, we had to, you know, we had continuous glucose monitors, right, from, from day one. You know, and the first year that T- Team Novo existed as an all-diabetic pro-conny team, um, you know, we, we scoured the planet to find the athletes. You know, we brought kids from all over the world with varying levels of education. Most had never used a CGM before. And this was our ticket to, you know, at least striving for control. So we had a lot to learn, a lot to educate. And, you know, I had a... a Conceptual patent back in 2009, I tried to start a business to get glucose to the bike computer, but the technology mm-hmm. just didn't exist at the time, so it died. Mm-hmm. And you know, with TNN, as, as we got better and improved, we were really good at managing glucose in bike races. But you know, there's a thing called basal rate, which is your background insulin. And if you have too much basal, then you're going to need to eat more than a normal day. If you don't have enough basal, then you sometimes can't eat at all, say, in a bike ride. And while most of my athletes were good, it seemed like everyone would make one mistake per stage race. Over seven days, you'd either be eating 150 grams of carbs an hour to keep up with your glucose or didn't have enough basal insulin and they'd be given eating 20 grams of carbs, which, you know, Dirk, as you can imagine, like, yeah. you know, day, stage two of Tour of California, you can only eat 50 wow. grams of carbs for five hours, the consequence right. that has later in the race. Right. So, you know, we partnered with a few different companies in the, you know, cycling power meter space to try and get glucose there. And they just weren't able to pull it off. Uh, and I was on a bike ride, a Velo City ride, which I hope everyone will come to next year in Atlanta, Georgia, um, with Chip Hawkins, the CEO of Wahoo Fitness. And, you know, I told Chip that I really needed this. It was going to be the key for our success for Team of Nordisk. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it for you. And, you know, I'd heard that a couple times, but you know, Chip is a man of his word, and he's also a phenomenal builder, as anyone who's rode a kicker uh, knows. And two months later, I had a prototype. Uh, I got to go ride my bike with glucose on my on my on my bolt, and wow. in 15 days of seeing every data point in front of me, I learned more about what everything did to my body uh, and how to optimize fueling on the bike than in the previous 15 years of having a, a CGM receiver in my pocket. And, you know, I think, well, how? And it's like, I used to see a glucose of 150 and I'd say, okay, I'm fine. Put it in my pocket. And then 30 minutes later, I'd see a glucose of 90 with an arrow down. And then you have to react with 80 grams of carbs to normalize and get back to the glucose performance zone, as we call it now. And, um, but then I, I saw a glucose of 150 now having it in front of me. And then the next data point is 147. And I started thinking, okay, if the next data point is lower then I need to eat. So I, I knew I wanted to bring this to market and, uh, you know, started sharing it with more endurance athletes you know, who are successful in business and looking for advice and guidance. And, you know, I kept hearing the same thing. Like, I don't have diabetes, but I'd buy that. You know, I bonked before. I'd buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I went to work because I knew I needed a good team around me uh, if we were going to bring this to market and succeed. And, you know, so I, I had my marching orders and I went and approached Abbott and they'd just done a massive 
you know, I think you may or may not know, but I've been working in Rwanda on access to medicine for the last 11 years. You know, there were 300 kids when we started and there's now 2,000 people alive. We've got insulin on the health insurance formulary. Um, it's like, it's been a tremendous like dream come true seeing the progress in Rwanda. And Abbott supercharged that a couple of years ago with a four-year, uh, you know, call it arguably $12 million donation in medical supplies to the government in Rwanda. Hmm. And, you know, so I went back to say thank you uh, to talk about Team Nova Nordisk and potential collaboration. And I showed my uh, my Wahoo Bolt with um, glucose on it. And I said, I want to bring this to the sport market. And do you have a name? I said, Super Sapiens, which I'd, I'd gotten that that morning. Uh, do you have a business plan? I said, no. Do you have any employees? I said, well, I got a couple really sharp guys who'd quit their jobs if I had to deal with you. And we'll create a plan. Talk, come see me next month. And you know, in June of 19, uh, came back with a concrete business plan for what we wanted to do, uh, how we'd approach the go-to-market. And you know, a week later, it was approved. And you know, been off, you know, I I put in the initial investment so I could hire the first couple employees. And then it's been uh, the mad, madhouse chaos at the startup world, which is you know, raise money, build team, build technology, raise more money, build more team, build more technology. Um, so ultimately we could you know, bring this product to market. Uh, we launched just in advance of the, or just in the midst of the Tour de France last year. Um, we had Jumbo, Visma, and Enios, who had both been using it in training, they'd agreed to do a blinded clinical trial uh, going up to the d- during the Tour de France because that type of data doesn't exist anywhere in the world. And to think of right. you know, teams like Enios and Jumbo, who are so protective with their data because uh, right. they're so innovative, willing to share it with us. Um, but unfortunately, two days before the tour, the UCI said not allowed in in the sport. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. And you know, it's we missed a big scientific opportunity. Is it still not allowed? Um, yeah, they're still uh, you know, trying to say it's not right. allowed. And yeah. uh, we've got research, right? We see, I, I saw one kid's data, um, you know, he, he was wearing a different device uh, during the tour, but he quit on stage 11. And he quit, the moment he quit, he was having a hypoglycemic event. Mm-hmm. And because the data doesn't exist, the UCI thinks it's not needed. And I'm saying, <laughs> like, we know people have hypoglycemia. And it's one thing, you know, when you're on a train ride by yourself, but it's a completely different thing when you're going down, you know, a mountain through the cars at 100K an hour trying right. to catch up. You know, it's, it's not if you're going to crash, it's when. You know, I've been in the sport a long time. I want to, I've been investing in the sport, investing in athletes, investing in making cycling look good for a lot of years. I'm not, I'm not here just as a, as a gimmick. This is, a chance to really, you know, help athletes make, you know, I mean, you know how obsessed kids get with weight loss in their neo pro years, right? It's just, we've got it in the mental health and what we can do for women's sport, right? It's the options, opportunities for growth via, via knowledge are immense. And um, so, yeah, it's, I, I have confidence that in some point the UCI will come around. Uh, I don't know when, uh, but you know, the best and the fastest in the world love to use it during training and, you know, we'll continue to push the knowledge forward in that, re- in that regard. Right. And so the actual hardware is the same as what diabetics would use the Abbott Libre, but the app is the main breakthrough, right? The app is for specifically for athletes, not diabetics. Is that correct? 
Well, the the hardware it's a little different in that mm. um, it's a ours is continuous Bluetooth. Um, okay. So it sends a signal every minute, which ah. we just did an integration with Garmin uh, that's now live in the EU. So it's if you have a Garmin watch awesome. or bike computer, you can get glucose there via the phone as a bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, let's see. And then the readings you know, are different as well. You know, for the diabetic versions, it reads a glucose of 40 on the low end to 400 milligrams per deciliter on the high end. Um, as ours is not intended for people with diabetes. It's intended for athletes for sports performance. Uh, our range goes from 55 to 200. And um, we thought that would be enough, but I, I think we need to increase the range based on some of the data we're seeing from some of the best athletes in the world. Yeah. Wow. So the breakthrough I see here, if you're a non-diabetic and you get your hands on this technology, it really starts to individualize your fueling strategy. It's more dynamic in the moment. Whereas prior, it's more about a strategy of, okay, timing, I want to take in 75 grams an hour and I'm going to stick to some type of time schedule. But when you get this in your hands and you see the data live, it's it's truly dynamic. You are now reacting or you're trying to pre- uh, load, if you will, if you're getting low and you know that climb or that intense section is coming up, is that? I mean, is, are you hearing the same thing? Is that really the kind of the purpose of it um, during during training and racing? Yeah, a- absolutely. It's. I mean, what's the old adage, right? Yeah, you know, I think you, you might have been the one to teach it to me, Dirk, back in you know, the the Zaxby's days, and <laughs> when I was 19 years old, getting get to ride with a bunch of professionals, it was a cool coolest day on the bike I'd ever had. Um, eat before you're hungry, drink before you're thirsty, right? Mm-hmm. And now people can have the data to correlate, you know, the glucose, uh, that they have with the feeling. And, you know, you know, it's one thing to, you know, it's, you know, everyone has a plan until you get, as Mike Tyson said, until you get, <laughs> the face, right. Right. And, <laughs> and the body, you know, while 75 grams of carbs an hour is definitely a good strategy, um, you know, some days you might need 75, some days you might need 50, some days you might need 90. Um, and just having visibility to, you know, what your glucose is, correlating that with a feeling, and then, you know, reverse engineering it to say, what's the fueling strategy I need to have the number that I want to feel the best. And we've seen some just phenomenal uh, case studies so far. And, you know, the, the numbers that we're seeing, you know, from like Elliot Kipchoge, you know, who wore it when he won the Hamburg Marathon to uh, Jan van Berkel, who, you know, under, you know, he's a from Swiss, so he got it there, brought it over here. Um, and the Ironman, he got second place last week, you know, and he's given me permission to share the data. You know, his glucose average was over 200 for eight hours. Wow. You know, and you know, I mean, it's, he pays I'd love to see that fueling strategy. Yeah. So it was all fueling. Yeah. You know, so it's my belief every human's an athlete and I want to help you achieve your goals. We're, we've got a lot to do in the science, scientific world because I've got a thousand questions, uh, but and a lot of n equals one examples. But right. you know, there's we need to scientifically validate you know our hypothesis and then do the publication so we can educate, and that's going to be kind of the key going forward. And on the on the women's side, I mean that's that's where I see one of the most the biggest upsides is you, know, you think of a a woman during the menstrual cycle. You know, the fueling need on day one is different than day three is different than day seven. And, 
you know, up until now, you know, you know, how you performed was a lot, lot based on luck. And, right. you know, if we, you know, we've got a research study going out in Norway right now, you know, checking 20 women over the next three to six months, you know, to find out what are the different fueling needs at different stages of the menstrual cycle so that we can help the female athlete eat the right thing at the right time uh, and, you know, and achieve their goals. You know, it's, it's been such a black box um, and unknown and unpredictable and to give them a chance to have the data to make the appropriate adjustments. You know, it's just, I I feel tremendously honored for this opportunity. Uh, But at the same time, I feel a tremendous responsibility to build the right team, do this the right way um, because we have a chance to change the world. Yeah. If people want to learn more, I mean, these case studies, do you have any of them posted the Kipchoge or any of the Ironman type? So we'll, I think we're, we're, uh, one of our scientific advisors, Daniel Plews, who's one of the top Ironman coaches in the world, is um, is he's Jan Van Berkel's coach, and we've got all of the data that we're just kind of collecting and collating, and going to try to package it in a nice, nice way for the world to see. Yeah, super cool. Well, I think coaches, you know, will need to start to learn how to implement this technology. Um, you know, that's a big opportunity to help coaches help their athletes. So yep. if you're a coach, definitely go check out, I assume, supersapiens.com. Is that the the site? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of good info there. You know, I, I think we, we underestimated, like, I, you know, in hindsight, I took the wrong approach to, you know, market launch and that we went direct to consumer. Um, we should have started working with coaches earlier, you know, just, you know, and, you know, had that aha moment in early March and said, you know what? we need to educate coaches because coaches, coaches are key to the athletes and the key to their athletes goals. It's part science, you know, part, uh, psychologist, um, and just friend and mentor and accountability buddy. Um, so Mm -hmm. we, we launched uh, super sapiens university, uh, last month. Yes. We're about halfway through the beta. Uh, we had 25 amazing coaches on board this one, some of the preeminent uh, leaders in the world, We've got 31 signed up for our second track, at which point after we go through the second track, we're going to automate this so that any coach in the world can not only on their own time go through the Super Sapiens University. And we've got some phenomenal speakers just uh, and participants. And then at the end, you know, you know it's, coaches are the key. So if you go through the Super Sapiens University and you can become an affiliate for us, and as an affiliate, any of your clients who go on product, you know, we will you know, gladly work with you to, you know, on, on the royalty basis. Cause it's just, you know, we, we need coaches to, we're going to learn as much from the coaches that give us feedback as the coaches are going to learn from, you know, our technology. And it's, I really feel like we've got a symbiotic relationship with the coaching community out there and really excited to just dive deeper, work with them, learn from them and, you know, accelerate the education that, uh, this field, you know, truly needs. Yeah. Super. love it. Embracing the coach uh, here and you're speaking the same language. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you know, it is, we look, we looked at training peaks as a phenomenal model and just the way, how you work with teams. I mean, yeah, it was when we first did the partnership with team Nova Nordis back in 2013 and, you know, you and, you know, other Gear. leadership, <laughs> we were an, a, a nobody team, right? Zero followers on social media. Uh, nobody knew if we'd be able to race, but y'all came to our camp and you worked with our coaches and you worked with our athletes and you helped us use your analytic machine to optimize our performance. And 
that foundation has led to some tremendous success in the world of you know, inspiring, educating, and empowering. Uh, so, you know, super grateful, Dirk, to you, to the whole Training Peaks family for everything you've done for you know, helping athletes go faster and excited about future collaborations to help them go faster longer uh, with some new data analytics. Yeah. Thank you so much, Phil. I mean, and thank you for being one of those heroes out there to a lot of diabetics, but also just now non-diabetics, you know, you're helping people learn their individualized um, racing fueling strategy, which has an enormous uh, runway ahead of it. We're, we're just at the beginning of all this. So super exciting. Really appreciate all the hard work and look forward to seeing uh, when it will be available in the US. Don't know when that will be, but everybody keep your eyes out for that. And if you happen to be lucky enough to be in Europe, go ahead and uh, give it a try. Phil, thank you so much. Um, yeah, well, let's just keep in touch and uh, good luck with the, with the new venture. Yeah, really appreciate it, Dirk. Have a great one and uh, honored to be with you today and look forward to the next time we get to ride some bikes together. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. For more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. 